This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, where we can be positive for once. We, we all love a good positive pod to kick off the week. I'm your host, Adam Jones, today joined by Chris Beasley and Gav Buckland, where we'll be looking back at what is you know, absolutely a crucial win for Everton over Manchester United in the early game on Saturday. We'll talk about the goal scorer, obviously. We'll talk about the mood at Goodison Park, and uh, we'll talk about how that could affect the rest of the season but just before we started the podcast we had a little bit of breaking news from Everton uh, Everton confirming that David Lunsworth is set to leave the club from his role as academy director and manager of the under 23 side uh bees I mean yeah. we might as well kick off and start about this news mm-hmm. really uh what did, what, what did you make of that game? It was a little bit of a surprise, yeah, didn't yeah, it, really? I, I was surprised, but um, I think if, if you have genuine managerial aspirations, that's what you, what's what you need to do. Um, 48 now, he's been at the academy a long time now. He's got that position where he was now director of the academy as well as coach of the, the academy. So his role has changed a bit in recent years, but they're still obviously picking the team on, on a, a day-to-day basis and the, the managerial side of that. And... I wondered whether his, his ship had sailed in that respect. Um, I know at the uh, early in 2018, um, he was uh, he was more than that interesting in all what we understand. You know, he was seriously considered for the Oxford United job. Some reports say he was actually offered the job and then ultimately ended up turning that down and remaining at Everton. So you wondered um, he'd been Everton caretaker manager only that very same season, maybe still coveted. The, the top job at Everton and actually thought he had genuine chances of getting that job at, at that point. But over four years on, I think it would be, I think as Duncan Ferguson has alluded and the same question sort of goes for him as well. You know, you've, you've got to sort of drop down and um, earn your spurs at, you know, at, at the lower level as a proper manager, if you do have the aspirations, I think it's a long, the sort of the days of Everton um Appointing in-house like you would do when Colin Harvey replaced Howard Kendall. Um, it's a very different landscape these days. So, yeah, you've got to go out there, as Kendall himself did, you know, to, to sort of prove yourself in the lower divisions before potentially coming back to, to Everton. And we are told, you know, with, with this news, that it is because he does want to pursue managerial um, aspirations. So, yeah, I think it's the correct decision if he does see himself as a manager. It would be interesting to see where he goes. Crew vacancy came up over the weekend. Um and uh, how he actually fares as a manager, whether he's got a job, job lined up, you, you'd imagine so, the way it's, it's broken like this. Mm. There were a few quotes released by Unsworth a little bit earlier this morning as we're recording. Uh, he said, this has been one of the hardest decisions I've had to make in my career. Everyone knows what Everton means to me. It has been my whole life and I have loved every minute of my time here. However, to give me the, the best chance of achieving my career aspirations and becoming a permanent first team manager, I believe now is the right time for me to move on. Uh, Gav, do you agree? Do you think it now is the right time for Unzi to move on? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'd like to say is thanks for having for time and their uh, announcement just before we were about to pod. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just before rather than Jordan, it's quite good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I thought that was very, very kind of them, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's 40, it's 48, isn't he, Unsworth? Yeah. So it's a bit like Ferguson, isn't he? He's getting into that territory where. You're no longer a young player who's just left the just retired and 
have got you know a long you know long management career potentially might still have um he's very much near the end of the time i think of his coaching career where he a move into management at age wise and stability wise and all that is is it, you know is available to him at that move so from a time perspective from him personally i think it makes a lot of sense as you say there's been rumors of incest in other roles during the time of goodison i think from the club's perspective it obviously makes a lot of spend sense so I'm not sure i doubt very much it'd be part of the strategic review this would it i mean it, i think that's something mm, yeah. outside of this yeah i think that type of role i think you can only do it for so long you need change don't you mm. things become a bit stale such a fluid fast-moving world academy football and recruitment and and how it's done uh it, you know i think to be there too long can be counterproductive and i think we're possibly at that point now for both uh both david and and, and the academy itself so i think from a club perspective it's also a good uh good time to to renew things and um you know look 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 for a different way and a different approach hmm. i suppose bees where does that leave everton now obviously kevin felt well uh took over in February as the director of football, he'll presumably have a task on his hands now to replace Unsworth, maybe as director of academy, maybe to find a replacement for him as a under 23s manager as well. Do you do you see Everton maybe promoting from within to, in in that sort of position, or would you like to see them interviewing some external candidates and maybe you know using this uh, as a bit of a way to reshape the way the academy is is structured at the minute? Yeah, we could certainly um, interview external candidates and it might be that an internal candidate ultimately ends up being the, the best fit. I mean, go back to having two different people in the positions because ultimately you've got the one position as picking the team, the first team coach for, for the under-23s and then um, another position as the director of the academy. So they needn't be done by the same person and that might be how it, how it actually pans out um, in the end. I think you've got what you've ultimately got to do is go back to producing more players who are going to make it in the first team. I mean, they've obviously it's been lauded that they they won the title twice, the Premier League two title twice under under David Unsworth, and uh, they won a cup as well. And but that ultimately doesn't count for much if, if the players aren't ultimately making that that final step to be um, making in the first team. Anthony Gordon has first one for a, for a long while now. Who's sort of really established himself and obviously John Joe Kenny has played a lot more games recently the probably his most his big his longest run he's probably had I imagine uh, since he since he came through but yeah you need to uh, you need to be looking at producing more players who will go on and make it into the first team and I'm sure that was always part of the plan with or without David Unsworth anyway they needed to sort of shift that focus I mean easier said than done but the club does have a, a rich history in the recent past of uh, not too recent past of uh, well you know uh, uh, producing um, we well, can't all be Wayne Rooney's, but you know, it's solid players of which Unsworth himself was one going back 30 years so come through the academy and, and made it in the first team. So that's got to be the, the goal, wasn't it? The junior teams is, is producing those players who can step up to the first team. And like I said, whether that's internal or external person who fills that role, I, I'd imagine it might it might get split now and you'd have you'd have somebody as, as coach and somebody as director of the, the academy. That's what that's just the way I, I feel things might go. Mm. Well, if we're talking about Anthony Gordon, I think this is probably the perfect time to segue into the weekend game where Anthony Gordon proved to be the difference as Everton secured a 1-0 win over Manchester United. 
I mean, Gav, we were speaking to each other in you know what was a packed press room at, at Goodison Park, wasn't it, at the weekend before the game, and uh, the mood wasn't exactly the mood wasn't exactly very positive. Uh, I, I would have to I would have to say among those uh, Everton supporting uh, members of, of the press room, yeah. but uh, but as, as it turned out, it was it was an absolutely crucially positive day for Everton, wasn't it? Yeah, and I don't think the mood was particularly positive with the Manchester United supporting no. elements yeah. of the press and that contributed yeah. to um, us winning, wasn't it? Um, I think I'll caveat our performance on Saturday by saying that in my half century watching Man United, the Goodison, that's right up there in one of the worst teams and worst performances I've ever seen from the club. Mm. thought they were absolutely woeful. Um, I said on Friday, you know, be careful what you wish for. That I thought, you know, we needed an evening kickoff, and I thought whether twelve thirty was suitable for us, but actually it worked out perfectly because they played like a twelve thirty kickoff of a Saturday, didn't he? Yeah, you know, completely not interested and you know, uh, lackadaisical, all that type of stuff. Um, you associate with the twelve thirty kickoff where we actually were up for it, um, and yeah, it was. Wasn't the greatest game. No. It was certainly a better game than Newcastle game. I thought a better performance by us. And I thought it um though we'd got beat at West Ham and Burnley, they were better performances than we'd had in two or three games before then, i.e. Uh, Tottenham and, and uh, Crystal Palace. And you saw that little bit of improvement again on, on Saturday and, and that that led to, uh, I think that led to the victory, to be fair. And also, as we will talk about, you know, people like Delph's contribution and Awobis were massive. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, I mean, let's talk about Delph Bees. I mean, mm-hmm. he was one of a few important changes that Lampard made to the lineup. Uh, Delph and Alan both coming into. The midfield. He didn't change the system. It didn't. It didn't no. seem from the uh, West Ham and the Burnley game. Still seems like something close to a four-one-four-one. I suppose maybe a four, some some sort of four-three-three yeah. variation, if you want to call it something like that. But yeah, it was a very similar system to the way that uh, Everton played against Burnley and West Ham. But the likes of Delph and the likes of Alan just gave Everton a completely different feel in that area of the pitch, didn't they? Yeah, well, that's what you needed for that fixture, wasn't it? it was a Totally different to, to Burnley, where Everton, man for man, would have the superior ability and, and the class. And, and we saw that at Turf Moor. They displayed that, but Ben lost the game because of the individual errors. Whereas they knew Manchester United, similar to Everton, not the sum of their parts, inconsistent, but still have world-class players. Everton knew they were going to have to work really hard for this and have that solidity in midfield. And that's what Fabian Delph and Alan coming back in. Brought, I mean, since Fabian Delph came to the club, nobody can question his class, his pedigree, and that you know he's been a player who's been up there in the Premier League for a long time, won the major honours with Manchester City. The the question has always been his fitness, and will remain that. Well, that was great. Let's hope he can play every game now between now and the end of the season. I mean, that was Grand National Day. You wouldn't want to be putting big money saying Fabian Delph was going to be an ever present now between now and the end of the season. Yeah. We all hope he is. We all hope he's in contention to stay fit and play a prominent role but as his time at the club has shown that he's really struggled to sort of keep himself fit and keep himself available and that's been the major 
frustration. And if he doesn't get a new contract this summer, it'll be on those lines because he's just not been available enough times yet. No doubt at all his ability. And we could see that simple but effective. He wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary and what just ticking along but I think a lot was made of how you know you could see him demanding possession he wanted to be on the ball but it was simple and effective stuff and just what that sort of calming influence you needed in the in the middle of the park him and the land both sort of provided that and uh, just hope they can both remain you know available because that midfield has been a real sort of problem area hasn't it all season whether it's been two or three in the uh, of course because of that decision a big decision to, to drop him He's not been the sort of player he'd been early in the season where he was he was he was excellent. So yeah, just hope that he can he can stay fit and have more of those performances between now and the end of the season. Mm. Well, it's interesting that Bees mentions the summer with regards to Delph, isn't it, Gav? Because I, I again I, I do feel like we say this about a lot of players in the Everton squad, but I do feel like we've been in this position with Delph so many times over the course of this season, even you know, the the fact that he'll come back yeah. into the side that he'll he'll put in a couple of good performances and then he'll be absent for another few months due to injury and that's that's really the most frustrating thing isn't it because i think as bees is right in saying you can't question his quality and his pedigree when he actually does uh take to the pitch forever but they just can't rely on him in terms of fitness but i mean i suppose what i'm trying to say is you know if he does manage to keep himself fit between now and the end of the season does have similar sort of contributions as he did against manchester united I suppose it can't hurt his chances of a new deal in the summer, but is it yeah. is, is it something that you'd you'd want to see? I, I, I mean, I, I suppose certainly not on the kind of money that he's on now, for example. Uh, no, I think it'd be what you do, give him another, another a two year contract. But what's it going to be like in a year's time? You know, yeah. he's entering that career stage where he's going to get if he's getting injured now, he's going to get more and more injured in twelve months time. That's just naturally how, how football is developed, don't they? Now, I think um, I think the also the financial position, as you touched on, there had as well, um, wages, all that type of thing. We get a transfer fee off the books. Um, now, I, I'd say definitely not. I, it's in his best interest, though, if he wants another club, though, to to play, isn't it, over the next um, next couple of couple of weeks to mm. show he's capable of, of putting putting a, a, um, several performances together. Oh no, I wouldn't. I, I think that sends out the wrong message. And, and financially, I don't think it's a great, uh, great move. Mm. I, I'd, um, but I'd try and get the best out of him between now and mm. the end of the season. And it's helpful. I think it was Joe brought up the, the thing on Friday in the pod. That was helpful. You got ten days now, haven't you, between the two fixtures? With for people like Delph, gives them plenty of recovery time. Mm. Yeah. So no, I wouldn't renew him. Uh, yeah. Sends out the wrong message. Financially, doesn't make sense, but it's still in his best interest to perform well between now and the end of the season. Mm. Well, I mean, sticking with you, Gav. I mean, if, if we're talking about between now and the end of the season, let's say Everton do stick with this sort of formation that Frank Lampard seems to be preferring over the last few games, in particular, Delph really becomes quite crucial, doesn't he? Because he's he's probably the only the only player that I, I would suggest that Everton have that can naturally fit into that sort of defensive midfield role. I think Mason Holgate did okay when he stepped in against West Ham and Burnley, but, you know, Delft playing there against Manchester United really showed the difference in calibre, didn't he? You know, as Bees was saying, he was always shown for the pass. He was dropping in between the centre-backs, drawing players out of the midfield so that others had space in there to receive a pass. You know, it's little things like that that, you know, really, really make the difference in those kinds of games, isn't 
Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 he is the only natural six we've got at the club, isn't he? And he's played at elite level in that sort of area. His ability to sense danger is is key. It's no coincidence that we look far better centrally at the back than what we have done previously because of that. I thought it was a good move by Lampard playing Alain, not the Corey, mm-hmm. which may have been a more natural thing to do. And um, we benefited, benefited from that. There was one, and, and they both never moved up the pitch that much. There was one bit in the first half, I think Gordon, Richarlison, I can't remember, well, Calvert-Lewin broke, broke up the pitch. And the other seven players, including Delphine, on the halfway line, there was like three Everton players and eight Man United players in their area. Because I think he, he told Alan and Delph, I think, to, to sit deep together. And I think that mm-hmm. part did work well, albeit against the not disinterested Manchester United team. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he, he brought all them attributes to, to the game and, you know, playing on the half term and little. T- 10-yard passes just to open things up. And he showed all that career now that he's, he's developed. Mm. The problem is he's not shown enough because he's been injured. But if he can get, let's face it, if you get two or three performances like that from the end of the season, that might be a bit of a bonus and might be make a big difference for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Gav talks about Manchester United being pretty lacklustre at the weekend, and I think you, you'd have to agree with that. But... I think Everton were, were certainly the opposite of that. You know, they were high energy, lots of desire, high tempo. And, you know, a lot of that, I think the example was probably set by Alex Awobi again, wasn't it? I mean, he, he just looks like, you know, he, 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 he still had quality under other managers, mm-hmm. of, of course. But I think this is probably the most consistent Alex Awobi that we've seen uh, during his time at Everton. He, the, the, probably the most fit he's looked, I would argue. Jordan his time at Everton. Frank Lampard's really getting a tune out of him, isn't he? Yeah, it's just what we've always wanted to see. He's been so frustrating and gone on and on about Alex Wolby, and rightly so in, in these podcasts, because we, we know that there's a talent in there. Arsene Wenger would not have indulged a player, you know, after how many games he ended up playing for, for Arsenal under on, on, on under Monsieur Wenger. And, <laughs> no, he wouldn't have, he just couldn't have got away with it, would he? He's obviously something about him. And obviously, I, I would think that Everton have overpaid for him. But, you know, he, he's not a lost cause. He, he, he's a talented player. There's, a, there's, there's something in there. And other Everton managers have not been able to tap into that. Whether, it, you know, it, it was Silver, Ancelotti, Benitez, none, none of them have really got the best out of him. And then uh, now Frank Lampard, clean slate. It's been similar with John Joe Kenny. You know, it's a different debate there how well he merits that place. But, you know, he's given a chance. And uh, yeah, he's, 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 he's working hard. He's prop- he might not be the sort of player that maybe Evertonians envisage that he would be or playing in the same sort of role because that's been another thing. What's his best position? Where should he be deployed within the field? But yeah, he, he's, given his, he's given his all. And uh, I thought obviously it was unfortunate at, at West Ham United that you know, he'd start well there, but then it was his mistake for the goal. Um, there was a few nice through balls at Burnley and looked uh, like a real creative force uh, at, at times and yeah and the hard working display back at Goodison where he's responded to the crowd and the, 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 the sort of the the encouragement that he, he's getting from them so to have sort of turn them around because at one point he was like oh Alex Awobi and not because anyone dislikes him but just frustrated because of mm-hmm. all these performances that we've had over the last couple of years or so but yeah if, if, he, if he's getting a tune out of 
a Wolby on a consistent basis. He's done a lot better than, <laughs> than, than his Everton predecessors. So, mm. yeah, uh, hopefully, again, like I say, like Fabian Delph, you know, long may it continue. Let's just hope that it can do. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, Gav, Bees is completely right there. I think, you know, you've got to hope that this is some sort of turning point for Alex Awobi, you know, there were multiple times at the weekends that you could hear the Gladys Street in the park end chanting his name. You know, he's always he's always struck me as kind of a confident sort of player. He needs a bit of momentum behind him to really see the best out of him. And, you know, they, they, this can hopefully be just, just him now picking up all the momentum that he possibly can into going into a really crucial part of the season for Everton, isn't it? Yeah, I think Chris made the point there about is not maybe the, the play that we were expecting yeah. to buy, and I'd agree with that. To me, he's a he's a bit of a chaotic, random, off the cuff player. I think who who flourish in chaotic, random games, high yeah. tempo games that we saw on Saturday. I think he struggles when the tempo is a bit lower and got to be a little bit more scientific. And a little bit, bit more balanced in our our play, I think where he's got to you know think about things and stuff like this. I think where it's all a bit higglesy pigglesy and the balls flying around the pitch and plays around the pitch. I think he's flourished in that, and he did that against Newcastle, didn't he? And I thought Saturday was ideal for his his style. Uh, to be honest with you, I think he got the best out of him both on and off the ball, and yeah. He, he, he has shown himself capable of being. He's one of our best passers with the ball from midfield to attack, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Will be in terms of getting the ball behind the defender, and and that's great to see. And it's it's great to see somebody who's got stick quite rightly all of a sudden getting his name chanted for you know in the off the terraces, and he thoroughly deserved that on Saturday. That that was the type of game that he obviously flourishes in, mm-hmm. and. Um, and if it does, this is confidence of Wales ago. That's 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 great news. Um, but I think he needs that type of game, and he's going to get plenty of them type of games between now and into the season. Right. Let's face it, and and that's probably no no coincidence that actually over the last month, where we've been a little bit needed, where we've looked a little bit panicky, where we've needed to um, create our own tempo to 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 be on the front foot. He's He's sort of been you've seen the best of him, haven't you? Really, um, I think I think it's been a bit back against the wall. I think you've seen that, and we've had to get in people's faces. He, he he's, he's you know as you've seen on that clip on match of the day on Saturday where he, you know he really went covered most of Goodison in the space of yeah. thirty seconds, didn't he? Really, mm-hmm. it's good to see. Yeah, so yeah, I think I think it's the, st- the style of football we're playing at the moment and need to play is is suited to him. But going back to what Chris says, that's not necessarily what I thought we were getting. Mm. But you, you don't you don't expect a Wenger type player from Arsenal to to be like that, do you? Really? Yeah. But yeah, fair play to him. Plenty of character, and he's made a big difference in two massive home games for us: Newcastle and Man United. Massive difference, mm. and we still be uh, appreciative of that. Mm. I think what struck me about that clip on Match of the Day in particular is that, you know, it, it could be quite easy for him to look like some sort of headless chicken running around and chasing after the ball there, but it, it was actually quite organised and quite disciplined the way he was still sprinting around and still getting back to cover important areas of the pitch. And, I mean, Everton fans 
obviously pick up on stuff like that and they appreciate it so much, don't they? And you know, you can you can hear now that if it will be maybe misplaces a pass as he as he's trying to create a chance, there's no longer any like groans mm-hmm. of despair. It's more you know signs of encouragement from fans who who are saying, "Oh, well, well done for giving that a go." And you know, it's it, it's maybe just the, those little simple things off the ball, but that that could be key for them, couldn't it? Yeah, like I said, that's like I said on my uh, on the whistle analysis, taking a leaf out what Neville Southall had said. Just be a scouser. Just show those battling qualities. Just be prepared to put your body on the line, and then you know the, the crowd will respond. Of course, they they love a, 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 a bit a bit of skill, a bit of a flourish, like Richarlison with those few mini headers that he did. Uh, that was that's something we don't often see. But um, yeah, the, the crowd. You know, if you're giving your all, um, they'll, the crowd will be on side with you, won't you? They're, they're going to be backing you either way, and then you'll have credit in the bank for those moments if something doesn't perhaps come off you know they, they, they reuse it's just a big generational thing at Evan I suppose whereas the older fans have seen great success and then middle-aged ones a little bit of success and then all the youngsters nothing but they're all the same in that if you're putting a shift in if you're giving 100% well, well they'll back you and, and if you're not doing that well crowd are going to be giving you stick and that's that's fair enough really and Alex Awobi's benefiting like that like I say it wasn't a headless chicken he wasn't just running round aimlessly there, there was purpose to it and it was helping the team with keeping united on the back foot mm. if we're talking about giving our all as well gav i think we've got to mention vitaly michelenko in that in that sort of conversation haven't we i mean it's maybe taken a taken a bit of a while for him to get up to speed uh, over the course of his Everton career which we uh, would have well expected of course but that manchester united performance showed some real promising signs of somebody you can be a really decent player for Everton, didn't he? Yeah, can I just say to Chris, by the way, I'm middle-aged and I've seen a lot of success. I don't class myself as old. <laughs> 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 yeah. upper, upper middle age, Chris, I think. Is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very delicate subject. <laughs> uh, yeah, Michelenko, yeah. He's, well, he's, I think we obviously have to give him a bit of time. I've me for lots of different reasons that we all know about. Again, he's another one like Awobi. I think he's and the team over as a whole. We're talking about them Palace and Tottenham games, but the team has got better since then. And Mikalenko, I'm not sure whether he played in either of them games, but his is a reflection of that slight slight improvement in performance. I thought he was thought he was excellent on uh, on Saturday. I thought he got up and down the pitch really well. He was intelligent. He was he didn't really. Allowing United player to pose a threat down the right hand side, and uh, at the end he was quite savvy when the ball appeared to be, thankfully for us, perpetually in their right, right back position. You know, mm-hmm. played a couple off the defender out for a throw in and jockeyed people, which showed the certain amount of football intelligence. And that's a great photo, isn't it? Michalenko and Awobi, yeah, bang in the floor. I mean, you can. You can criticise players for the money they earn and and their attitudes on occasions, but that's the type of thing we all do when we've all played football and we've won a game. Money and wealth don't come into it at that point, do they? Mm. The 90 minutes there, you just saw two people who've given their all and got the rewards, and I, I thought that was fantastic to see, and it was such a great photo. Mm. Michelenko, yeah. He's, he's rangy, isn't he? 
gets up and down and um I, I I think his sort of slight upturn and performance reflects the teams and I thought he was I thought he was great on on Saturday and he's another one who's becoming a, a fan's favourite and um well done to him in what's been an absolutely nightmare set of circumstances. Mm. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about Michelenko particularly is that you know Everton have I would, I would suggest Everton have been spoiled over the last few years in terms of their left backs, you know, yeah. going from Leighton Baines to Luca Dean, you know, these these left backs who are, you know, more like left wingers, the way that they create chances and they can score goals and etc. I think we're seeing over these first few months that Michelenko probably isn't going to be that kind of, mm. you know, attacking creative force in in the final third in the in the same mould as Baines and Dean, where even though you know he's still he's still posing a real threat down that down that flank when yeah. he uh, when he does get up there, but we're seeing some of the use very industrious in terms of defending you know he's got the stamina to get up and down that pitch uh throughout the 90 minutes and you know he's, he's maybe a different sort of profile of left back that evertonians might need to get used to but you know that those kinds of performances against sides like manchester united they're going to go a long way to convincing everton fans that he's top quality aren't they yeah like i said spoil in terms of it's old tradition that's been a very difficult um area of the pitch to find real quality in you often get a lot of um, right-footed left-backs just because of the, the, the dearth of that quality in the position. So for, to come on the back of um, Leighton Baines and Luca Dean, yeah, he really is, you know, having to sort of live up to expectations. But a big fee was paid for him, ultimately. It can't have been easy. Even coming in before the war in Ukraine started, coming in mid-season, a struggling team, the manager who signed you is, is gone, more or less, from, from the start of your club. I was absolutely deaf. It was his debut was actually at Norwich City and he, he made a mistake yeah. there. It almost cost him a goal. It's not been it's not been easy on or off the pitch, and that's a huge understatement because you know what's going on in his homeland and we believe you know members of his own family and friends who people he must know. And then just coming into a new country, the other side of Europe and all that entails. He's still a very young man and living away from home for the first time. So it must have been huge sort of um, shift for him and. Uh, difficulties different way of playing and obviously Dinamo Kiev he would have been I guess used to getting a lot his own way they'd be bossing most of their opponents whereas at Everton he's in, been thrust into a relegation fight so he put all this together it, it, it's no wonder it's seen this time for him to sort of find his feet but hopefully now we're, we're, we're seeing sort of the, the sort of um the quality that he can display on a, on a longer term basis and the reason the club have um, spent all that money it's just a shame with what happened on the other flank and Nathan Patterson hasn't had a chance to show that too because he's brought mm. them both in two young lads who thought it was going to be the future of fullbacks at Everton and where was we we're now seeing Mikalenko and what he can do as Patterson's had that false start 45 minutes against boring wouldn't the FA Cup unfortunately you won't see him till next season I mean he wasn't getting the game anyway but yeah, they just, I just would have liked to have seen both of them now. But yeah, Mikalenko, yeah, it, it's a big plus. Like we say, can Fabian Delft keep up for the rest of the season? Big plus if, if, if Mikalenko can string together a few more performances like that. Because let's not forget that he's been um, experimenting with three at the back. He's a John Joe Kenny out there in that position. He's a Ben Godfrey out there in that position. So for Mikalenko to be finally nailing that position down at a, that can only bode well, hopefully, between now and the rest of the season and beyond. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think, Gav, the defence in general, uh, 
set off, you know, very, very nicely in front of Jordan Pickford, but the goalkeeper did still have to be sharp on a number of occasions, didn't he? And I think maybe, you know, in some quarters his performance might fly under the radar, mm-hmm. but he was he was absolutely key to another Everton three points here, wasn't he? Yeah, and it probably upset quite a few people that Jordan had a good game, didn't it? Really? <laughs> You know, being England number one for what five years is it something like that? For five years is still not is still not good enough, and it annoys me immensely when I still see him being questioned. And you know, is Ramsdale, you know, England's number one in waiting and Pickford letting you know didn't let England down all this type of stuff. I just think there's there's many reasons for that, which is for another day. But that that all that talk just you know winds me up really. And um, when he's clearly the best English goalkeeper, and somebody like on Saturday that you can trust when the the chips are down, mm-hmm. really. And not and and it saves for crucial Wendy right at the start of the game that could have if they'd gone in or whatever could have set the tone for the rest of the game. And right at the end when we needed needed the points, so it's crucial interventions at the at the right time and yeah he was he was sound but by and large he's been sound for what best part of 18 months now since the the challenge that can no longer be mentioned um well <laughs> it's just since 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 january 21 whenever it was yeah. he's been he's been pretty consistent yeah okay there's been a few that he's been a fault for but show me a goalkeeper who hasn't been um and yeah those saves at the start and the end of the game were were, uh, were crucial, and um, but something that we expect from him these days. He's a far more rounded and calmer character than than before, and both Everton and England are seeing the benefits of that, aren't they? Mm. Well, I mean, we, we've talked a lot about you know the defence and you know our changing personnel in that backline and changing systems and with that backline, of course, how that's maybe affected certain individuals in the defence yeah. but it must be a big effect for Pickford as well mustn't it you know he, he's playing with different players in front of him every single every single game but as Gav says he's still producing some really really consistent performances which just shows the kind of level that he's reached now doesn't it yeah um that's probably one of the most crucial um, areas in the pitch in terms of communication with the goalkeeper and the two centre-backs in front of him or three centre-backs as it has been at times uh, Evan, I mean, Gav says don't want to go into that, but I'll, I'll mention it a, a bit. There's, there is a genuine agenda in this, in, on, with certain people um, in the national media. Uh, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's particularly anti-Jordan Pickford as such. It, it's because it's because he doesn't play for what seems to be a fashionable Southern club. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the fact that you could and or because Manchester City, Manchester United, and Liverpool would fall into the fashionable category as well. Um, they think because Everton are struggling, Jordan Pickford is having a poor season, but he's not. He's, like I said, he's, it, it would be in a wor- much worse position now if it wasn't for all those saves for Pickford. And we know he's always been capable of that, but as Gav has alluded to, he's had that wild side to him in the past where, I mean, I was up at St. James's Park that day. That was another day where he had one of his, his crazy performances. And he's, he's ironed out those to a large extent since, since then. But it's almost like everyone's just waiting for that next mistake to happen. Or they just totally disregarded his form. It was the same going into the Euros. Everyone said, oh, well, only plays well for England. I think we went through all our player ratings for the like three months before that, leading up to it. 
it's just written down somewhere but it, 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 I think he, bit, he barely got he certainly didn't get below six and mm-hmm. he was mostly sevens eights and nines and he was real sort of consistent form going into that yeah Ramsdale's had a, a very good season at, at Arsenal but he's played once for England against San Marino when mm-hmm. UI or Gav could like fancied our chances <laughs> in between the sticks for that one <laughs> Being very ambitious there for me, Chris, I think. Um, <laughs> you've got the high gap, I'm sure you'll be all right. Um, but, yeah, um, but yeah, so, it, 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 yeah, just to a lot of Scouse fans aren't saying, oh, we're not bothered about England, but it should be proud that Everton have got England's number one and um, it's not something Everton have ever had before. Of course, Everton had the best goalkeeper in the world, Neville Southall, but, but he was Welsh, so Everton have never had a long time England number one before so it's a unique position you're under a certain amount of scrutiny scrutiny but goes with that role you're always in the spotlight wait to sort of pick up on on on, on any mistake and it, it's just an absolute falsehood you've got this idea that Pickford has been out of form or are these stupid things about the, the length of his arms and just yeah. totally I mean it, 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 it's unprofessional really and the, the, the amount of stick they gets you know you can sort of understand it Newcastle fans coming down with blow up dinosaurs and throwing them onto the pitch when when a Wobie scores a last minute winner. But for serious people, because I think I even remember David Seaman, former England number one, who was talking about it the, the other week. And I don't think he criticised Jordan, but it was sort of alluded to that he might not have been at his best. But that's just not... He's not been watching him then if, he, yeah. if he's coming out with comments like that. But yeah, I think with certain people, they just can't wait under whatever circumstances. And Everton find themselves in the firing line here to sort of get him out and have somebody who's seen as being their person in there because he plays for a certain club. And yeah, it's not right, really. Whether you're an Evertonian or not, for Jordan Pickford to be under that kind of scrutiny based on people who haven't seen him play, obviously. Mm. Uh, can I just add there, and, and I will, I think it, it is to go more Chris is right, spot on, I think. Because he's, I think he's, because he's a working class lad from the northeast. He's an easy target. In the yeah. same way that, um, for different reasons, Wayne Rooney, as a working class lad from Liverpool, was an easy target. Yeah. And and I think we have a habit in this country of people that sort of backgrounds. We we think they and I'm with Paul Gascoigne as well, didn't it? Did the fair game, and we can give stick to them without any being accused of having another agenda. And but no, no, um, fall back. And I think it's a reflection more of the people who cover, not just in football, I'm talking about, it's a more reflection of people who cover that in the country than, than Pickford or Rooney or Gaza. You know, he's just, he's just an easy target. And as, if, he, if he was playing for Arsenal or Chelsea and come for him, say, sorry, I think it'd be a slightly different different thing. I mean, I think even saying that, I think John Terry was subject to the same sort of stuff on occasion i think it's a it's something that's ingrained in this country not just doesn't happen in football that happens in other forms of entertainment and i think he is uh at the moment in in, in the england setup he's, he's one of the few players that is in that sort of catchment area and therefore he gets loads of stick even though we saved that many penalties did he save and that's used out three was it two or three in the final two. yeah two i think yeah yeah you know what more can you do yeah. I tell you what, if they let in, he let in loads of penalties, he would have got a loads of stick. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I do think there's a wider issue there about how sports and football is covered and where you come from and what your background is. 
and I think he's an he's an easy target as a consequence. He hasn't helped himself on occasions, has he? To be fair, yeah. but but at the moment, I don't think he's done much wrong to deserve any sort of criticism that he's been getting. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a that's a nice impassioned way for us for us to end today. <laughs> it's been a very very positive podcast, and enjoyed it, yeah, lads. Thank you very much. For, uh, for joining me, we'll be a bit, we'll be back a little bit later on in the week. We've obviously got no Everton game to preview at the weekend, uh, but I'm sure there'll be lots of Everton news for us to uh, for us to chat about later on in the week. This club, this club never seems to stop in that sort of sense, does it? Uh, thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.